Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Uh, good evening to you, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is your favorite show, Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbede. As always, it is my pleasure, if not privilege, to be sharing this space and time with you as we engage on issues of national and global importance. We certainly live in an interesting time, which I believe has fundamentally changed how companies, uh, individuals view the strategy. We don't ever have, we don't have a luxury of long-term planning as we used to have in the past, given the shifting sense, uh, uh, sense as individuals and companies uh, find themselves in a very murky environment, as it were. Uh, one contend that there's no silver bullet on how individuals and companies navigated the turbulence brought by malfeasance in incompetence of the state and recently the epidemic of of uh, endemic proportions such as COVID-19. I hope these conversations generate, uh, generated from this show somehow makes a difference in shaping our thoughts on how best to address these challenges. If you missed our conversation last week, not to worry, simply visit our website, download the podcast, review it and make some comments. Uh, in, in the same vein, I encourage you to make inputs on in today's discussions as our, as our thought leaders whose respective, whose respective inputs, insights and wisdom can only gravitate towards solutions which we are desperately for. On the show, I, I'm, I went on record several times that the leadership in government, corporate and civil society should never lose sight on critical and pertinent issues such as unemployment, poverty and inequality. Any, any administration uh, whose focus um, is not on these issues uh, will certainly not you know, gain the public and private confidence. It is therefore important that we do not lose sight. Um, as we kick the, as we kickstart the show, let me thank someone and a team for, and his team for a job well done. They are back on your radio tomorrow. I must, I must also, um, acknowledge the team behind the show. On that note, uh, thank you, uh, Vusi Masinga, for putting the show together. As always, I encourage you, the listener, to weigh in by asking our panelists questions which you require answers. As you know, our SMS line is 34549. The telegram is 061. Eight nine five one zero nine five, and of course my Twitter handle is at Nimrod at Ben Nimrod. The biggest question which uh, we, which we are grappling with in today's show is the fact that South Africa is the most unequal country in the world, the most unequal country in the world, and and it, we cannot pretend to be in 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 a, in a positive environment given that gloomy picture that I've cre- that I've already created. The views shared by the World Bank are also echoed by those that are uh, being presented by World Economic Inequality Database, which indicate that inequality levels in Africa, in an African region, are extremely high. The average country level top 10% of income share equals half that of the national income. South Africa is the most unequal, unequal country in the region with the income share of income share of 10% household estimated at 65%. That is just too big to ignore. The reality is that inequality manifestations um, have racial and gender dimension attached to it. The overwhelming majority of the poor are blacks, followed by coloreds, Indians, and whites. Um, in South African, in, 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 in South Africa, um, that's how the parking order looks like. And we have heard, have seen number of uh, progressive legislation such as the BEE being enacted 
but the value or the outcome of those legislation have been dismal, if you like. In making sense of these complex questions, I'm joined by the leader of Action South Africa, Mr. Hemen Mashaba, and the CEO of the South African Chamber of Commerce, uh, Saki, um, uh, Ellen Mokoki. The two colleagues are not, are, are not, are not, uh, strangers to the show, uh, and we must, uh, etern- we are eternally grateful for their time, um, in, in sharing their, their perspective with us. As a precursor to our conversation, I want, I want our esteemed colleagues to share their perspectives on effectiveness of the law, how companies deal with race and gender-based wage gaps, and the extent to which um, access to opportunities are far and wide, which is something that is quite critical. But before I delve into tonight's main conversation, I feel compelled to air my views and somewhat frustrations about what we have become as a people, as a community. Given the poverty level in the country, one could, understand, one could understand the looting as overwhelming majority of people live you know, far below the poverty line. However, I do not understand why people destroy property, especially schools. The stats of schools vandalized and Gauteng and KZN are shocking. In my view, one school looted is far too many. This begs the question, has the self-worth of individuals and mutual respect uh, for other peoples, so aloof such that we, we are so, we are self-destructing? What about the children who, I mean, what about the children who are returning to schools without windows, doors, chairs, and desks to sit on? What about the food, what about the food and their future that has been stolen? At this rate, we are not breaking the cycle of poverty. Instead, these actions contribute towards greater inequality as if we are not the most unequal society already. The effects of loss of schooling time not only will, only, will not only be felt by learners shortly, but it will fail by the economy uh, in, 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 a, in a not so distant future, as most of, this, of most of these learners would have missed out on, on comprehension prerequisite education materials. I mean, we, I don't have to tell you this. Education remains a critical ingredient which can liberate the mind and life in general. The second issue which I wanted to reflect on uh, by way of planting a seed in your minds is how to deal with insurgency, which we have seen. We all know that rights were orchestrated by anarchists who have as a narrow political agenda. In responding to what appears to be unpopular uh, uprising, the president told us that further arrests are imminent, particularly of those who conceptualize, plan, and execute these uh, heinous crimes. I personally do not think the Constitution as it stands will deliver justice. I'm saying this because of the because of the rights culture, which is part of the Bill of Rights, which is fundamentally constitutional, which is fundamentally constitutional matter. This means the brains behind the looting and sabotage are protected by the same constitution. I will not be surprised to hear yet another commission of inquiry being called. As a matter of fact, before we went on air, I had a quick conversation with um, the, the leader of um, Action SA, Hemen Mashaba. Uh, coincidentally, he was obviously speaking about the, the, the commission of inquiry, but we'll, we'll get to hear more about it uh, short, shortly. Uh, we have not heard one of the issues that is bedeviling South Africans is that we have not we have not heard, at least in my view, 
why the intelligence was caught napping, we still have not had any drastic changes in the cabinet. You know, these are audible silences on the side of the president. And we suggest, in my view, that the NC at this point, um, you know, NC unity takes precedence over the country. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but is this a fair assessment? If you think so, well, you know, or unless you're thinking that these kind of assumptions or utterances are brought us on naivety or stupidity, uh, but what is the bottom line? If you think they brought us on naivety or stupidity, what is the bottom line? Because ultimately, the bottom line that we've got the biggest unemployment, biggest poverty, and the insurgents that, that, that took place, it caught everybody napping. Anyway, these are my thoughts. Um, you know, um, I really would like also like to, to, to know as much as the country is grasping, uh, to know this, is the NC scoring its own goals yet again? Or is there a grand plan which mere mortals must acquire some intelligence to comprehend? At what cost though? Is unemployment rate not, not enough? Is the downgrade of the country and four biggest municipality not enough? Surely this, this are a biggest wake up call which cannot be left unattended. Anyway, those are my view. Uh, I welcome your insight, uh, on, on 34519. The telegram is 061895. And of course, my Twitter handle is at Mbele Nimrod. Now that I've done a bit of venting, allow me to welcome my esteemed guest, Ellen Mukoki, who is the CEO at the South African Chamber of Commerce uh, and Industry, Saki. And of course, uh, Mr. Hemi Mashaba, the former executive mayor of the uh, city of Johannesburg, and now the leader of Action SA. Gentlemen, good morning and welcome. I think it's good evening, Nemrod, and uh, <laughs> thank you for the invite as well. <laughs> Thank you for that. I suppose it depends on which part of the world you are at. Yes, we are live in 85 countries around, around the globe. Uh, well, thank you very much for that, Ellen. Yes, uh, good evening, as well. and, uh, Good evening, Alan, and the listeners. Uh, thank you so much. For good evening, Haman. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, colleagues. Um, I mean, I, I, one of the issues that I, I think the, 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 the epicenter or the critical issue which the show seeks to unpack and provide some clarity in terms of where things are at is the South Africa being, you know, defined as the most uh, unequal country in the world. And, and there are obviously measures which government has done. Clearly, those, those measures are not uh, good enough or not using the result, uh, yielding the results. And some may ask you, um, some may argue whether the constitution or legislation, um, is, is, is sufficient enough as an instrument that would, uh, enable government, you know, to address these issues. But, um, uh, one of the issues that I wanted to reflect on before we actually start, uh, on the issue of the, the constitutional framework as the measure that would address some of the biggest issues. Um, you know, setting setting the tone, I checked the other time. We had about almost about ten commissions of inquiry, ten commission of inquiries, which at some point were meant to address some of these issues. And when I look back, not much of you know, not much of results or outcomes which uh, they were intended to, to to achieve. And I'm sure you are all aware of those. But let me just stop there and and get a perspective from. Uh, uh, you know, colleagues, as it were, uh, 
Firstly, let me start with, with, with Herman. Um, South Africa being defined as the most unequal society uh, in the world. We have had numerous government inter, um, interventions via policies, via legislation and programs, and none of these don't seem to have yielded any results. What's your take on that, and how do we navigate this quagmire? Well, Nimrod, it's actually quite sad and heartbreaking uh, that, uh, you know, uh, that uh, we are the most unequal society post-1994. Uh, Actually, worse than we were uh, before apartheid. Uh, you know, and remember, during apartheid, uh, we've always been known, South Africa, to be the most unequal society of uh, poor blacks and uh, rich uh, whites. And uh, we all voted on the 27th of April, 1994, with the hope and real hope of actually transformation of our society. Not just uh, when we have uh, the independence uh, to vote and no longer carry um, pass books uh, for us as blacks in, 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 in the main. Unfortunately, um, uh, as you are aware, the World Bank did a study a few years ago and actually confirmed that South Africa has actually become more unequal under the new dispensation than, than uh, before apartheid. And the reason why uh, that has happened, uh, fortunate enough, I've been in business uh, for, for, for some time. And I remember right at the beginning of our new democratic uh, dispensation, Raising these matters uh, with our government, in particular the Minister of uh, Labor, at the time uh, the current Minister of Finance, Tito Mboweni, of their relationship with COSATWE and the so-called South African Communist Party, because uh, um, the reason why South Africa, its uh, um, uh, economic performance has been uh, spectacularly dismal, and also, uh, we, with the, 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 the highest, uh, uh, sustainable unemployment rate in the world, uh, this, this are man-made, um, um, uh, consequences of, um, of, of the ANC and COSATU and the South African Communist Party because they went out, came out uh, with draconian, in fact, I call them draconian labor laws uh, that made it impossible, particularly for small businesses uh, to, to operate in the townships. I grew up um, by going to buy uh, meat at, um, uh, when my parents would send me to go and buy, buy the meat. I would go and buy meat from uh, the butcher run by uh, Mr. Matlangu and I would, went to a super Supermarket. It was run by Mr. Maponia and so forth. Go into the communities today, be in Soweto or, or any village. Uh, they've destroyed uh, the black entrepreneurship uh, because of the, the uh, draconian labor laws. But at the same time, they're allowing international criminal syndicates to come into our communities, bringing billions of counterfeit expired goods into, into our country with no accountability, with no employment opportunities for our people. And obviously driving this um, uh, BE at the time, we thought when they were coming out with broad-based black economic empowerment, it'll uh, help uh, to spread um, economic opportunities uh, for black South Africans. Unfortunately, their legislation driven, as you are aware, by the current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, because he was the chairman of the PE commission. In the meantime, uh, they, this uh, commission and uh, B legislation was meant uh, actually to reward uh, uh, loyalty to the ANC than actually benefiting the, the black entrepreneurs uh, in, in, in the main.
Thank you very much for that for that uh, uh, insight. I wonder if um, Ellen would agree with you, particularly around the the the, the claim about draconian labor law, um, which uh, which which were introduced by the ANC, and the extent to which the relationship between the ruling party and the and the labor movement, Kosati in particular. Um, have done nothing but to paralyze the economy. What your take would that be, uh, Ellen? Well, I think that these things are very much uh, contextual and they are linked. We, we, we obviously need to get into the space where we can look at the entirety of the policy framework, not just in terms of labor, but in terms of other, uh, all the other pieces around the structural features, macroeconomic performance and prospects, public finances, external finances, so it can't just be one thing. Uh, because I think that in the final analysis, we have spent too much time uh, working very hard, but working at the wrong things. In other words, not doing the things that we we actually should actually be doing. Because everything starts with policy. It's at that intersection where we talk about the four Ps. It's purpose, it's people, it's politics and policy. So you have, you have to be able to align all those things when you start from the position that says, what is the end game? In other words, what is this exactly that we're trying to do? Uh, it's not a short-termism. It's not a medium-termism. It's about having a long game in mind in respect of what exactly is this that you're going to do. You know that you've got these challenges. You know that these challenges relate to how are we going to solve for the long problem of inequality. It didn't start today. It didn't start in 1994. It's been around us from time immemorial. How are we going to solve for that, for that particular problem? How are we going to solve the problem of landlessness by the majority of South Africans who are actually excluded from economic participation because they start off a very wrong footing in the first place? The issues of competences and skills that are required in the new environment, because whilst you are training people and trying to develop people, including at the higher institutions of learning, are we asking the right questions around whether the skills that are coming out of those environments are the appropriate skills to drive the new policy of industrialization and where we want to head to. So in the final analysis, everything has got to start with the big, the big game thinking. You know, we've got big problems. Those problems are poverty. Those problems are hunger. Those problems relate to inequality, unemployment, you know. Uh, and they all need to be dealt with in a way that is very structured, in a way that is very systematic. And... Uh, and if you start there at that particular point, you've got to accept the, the thesis that says for South Africa to be able to address all these issues in a relatively short space of time, South Africa needs to look across, aboard, abroad to those people who actually manage to do that. There's no doubt about the fact that China is doing a lot of that, having moved 250 million people out of poverty in the last three years uh, from when Deng Xiaoping came into power. And there are many, many other countries who fall into exactly the same category, at least eight countries, non-Western countries, who in the last hundred years have managed to move their economies from developing economies to becoming developed economies. And amongst those, you count Japan, uh, Taiwan, South Korea, you know, old Hong Kong, Singapore, you know, Russia, Israel and Australia. And what exactly is this that they did to be able to do that? They focused on driving all the elements in the Human Development Index. Because it doesn't really matter what you say. You can complain about the, the chasm between the political party and the elites and everybody else. But if you don't address those issues in the Human Development Index and they relate to zero hunger and to poverty, quality education, 
uh, access to good health. And these are all the things that the United Nations refers to as the UN Sustainable Development Goals, all 17 of them. You have a template, you've got a program of the things that you need to work on. And now you need to have a plan that is fit for purpose. You can't just be throwing every other person into that particular environment, even people that don't have the merit to be able to do what they need to be able to do. So to me, you've got to be able to put in a congruent fashion all the elements that work together to be able to resolve these problems and resolve them permanently. But but here's an issue, Ellen. I mean, I hear you. Um, you're quite spot on a number of issues around, you know, uh, you know, issues around competencies and skills and the extent to which there's fit for fit for purpose. But but going back to drawing board, we have had in this country the NDP, which was um, heralded as the most progressive uh, document, strategic document, um, and 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 which, by the way, secured. Uh, inputs as well as praises from government, labor, and business, by the way, across the board. And, and that being a blueprint, I don't think we have failed to conceptualize the issues. I think we failed more at implementation. Perhaps maybe I can give you, uh, a credit around issues of skills, issues that are competencies. Um, but, but having said that, let me just bring Ellen here. I mean, let me bring Hammond here based on your anecdotes, um, Ellen. I mean, um, uh, um, Hemen, to what extent do you agree with um, Ellen's views around us as a country failing to address critical issue in a, in a, in, 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 in a congruent fashion? You know, this question of uh, inequality and high unemployment, these are self-inflicted uh, consequences of um, uh, criminal activity. When, when you've got a government or political leadership that is actually focused on thuggery and, and stealing, you have no chance of ever actually succeeding. You can come out with uh, as many policies as you want. You can read as many reports from all over the world as you want. Ultimately, we, the people of South Africa, as long as uh, we are led uh, by thugs, we are led by criminals, we have got absolutely no chance. We have a labor uh, uh, union uh, with, uh, uh, in concert with, with the government, uh, closing down the legal small black businesses. You, you stand absolutely no chance. You have a government that is committed uh, to ensuring that uh, you don't really provide the right kind of education to your people. You you have no chance. If you can understand the role that um, SATU, through COSATU and ANC, have played in the destruction of our education, we are actually providing the type of education uh, to our youth, uh, making them um, unemployable. Uh, they come out uh, with uh, um, whatever education be tested and otherwise, but ultimately they are unemployable because there are no opportunities for them and the type of education that they are getting. Schools are run by, by SATU where principals, uh, the role is actually to drive a political agenda than actually providing quality education to our people. I can tell you, as I say, you can read as many reports from any part of the world. As long as you don't really have a committed ethical leadership in the country, everything else becomes academic and um, 
with no consequences uh, whatsoever. So I think uh, that, uh, let's really face it, what's uh, the elephant in the room in our country? It's actually the ANC government. For as long as we've got the ANC government uh, in, in power, Forget it. Actually, yesterday, last night, I watched uh, uh, on one of the television uh, stations um, uh, uh, some organization actually presenting a study that uh, demonstrates without any doubt that uh, if uh, South Africa continues at this same trajectory, by 2030, South Africa will be a failed state. And my view is that we are going to be lucky if we are going to make it up to 2024 with the ANC government in power. If South Africa will still be having, will still have ANC in government post 2024, we might as well um, call it off because uh, Zimbabwe will look like a Sunday school picnic. So you remember what happened just two weeks ago? Uh, this insurrection driven by by by, by government against uh, against society, destroying businesses, destroying jobs, uh, lost over 300 people, and. Uh, that's what I'm saying is uh, if we've got a government like that that is not really committed uh, to the development of its own people, development of uh, of the people, uh, consent about the unity of the ANC instead of the unity of South Africans, for me this would really be an uh, uh, totally an ideological exercise we can embark upon. And uh, but the price uh, we will pay will be dire for future generations uh, to uh, to inherit uh, the, this country. Thank you for that for that uh, um, insight, um, Hammond. We're going to go to the break uh, in just a few seconds. But you know, perhaps I mean when you come back, um, because one level we we we've been talking mainly on the role of government or the role of the failed state. Um, but when you look at the relationship, we've got business. We also have civil society organization. I want to cast our eyes back on 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 the role of businesses. On an extent to which businesses has done its part. Uh, if business has done its part, what is it that needs to be done differently to try and address the the, the inequalities that that we're seeing? Let's take a break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance: Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus Ninety Four Research, the science of decision making. If you've just joined us, we have a very interesting conversation uh, online. We're joined by the, the leader of uh, Action SA, Mr. Heman Mashaba, Mashaba, as well as the CEO of uh, South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Ellen Mukoki. Before we went to the break, what I mean, I wanted um, us to move slightly away from, you know, politics or government as, as, the, as the focal point for any economic recovery or any economic activation business play a critical role. Bearing in mind the role of government is to create an an urban environment. But I I I I do not I do not want to get a sense that we want to romanticize business as 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 an entity or the structures that just sit there and wait for government to dictate terms. And in my view, I'm not sure whether business has been active enough in driving and steering the ship into towards the, the right direction. And I'm glad both of you, uh, you wear different caps or heads, so to speak. Can I just bring um, Ellen here um, uh, on the issue of what has been the role of, of business um, and, and ha- to what extent has business held government to account on some of the policies 
uh, that were are supposedly fading. Can I bring you here, Alan? Well, yeah, you know, the, the role of business sometimes can be what you refer to as uh, both complex and, and uh, as well as ambiguous. Uh, what is the purpose of business? Anyone who's got money who wants to invest in any environment, whether it's a business, whether it's a startup, whether it's an existing business, you do so because you're expecting that the business or the investment that you make is going to give you the required level of return for the capital that you've given in line with the risk that you're actually taking. Okay, so that basically is what you as a business person are going to go into business and do. I've had this story as well. Uh, sometimes it's floated by people uh, who argue that uh, business uh, creates jobs. I think that business creates jobs as a byproduct, but I don't know too many business people, and I'm, I'm speaking uh, with respect, who went into business because their main aim was to create jobs. The majority of people who go into business, they go into business because they want to make money and they have certain specific objectives in respect of what they want to do, whether they want to dominate an industry, whether they want to take advantage of taking out the competition. But there aren't too many business people that I know that I've met personally, you know, so I can't speak for other people, but for me, who would tell me, actually, the reason I'm actually putting 500 million on the ground is because I'm trying to create jobs. There's no such a thing. So what tends to happen is that people get into business but it is the activity that they create because you're going to create suppliers, you're going to create customers, you're going to generate wealth. It is that wealth that then begins to circulate very, very aggressively in the economy. And it, it, it feeds on itself because it then creates uh, those particular jobs. Because when you do that, when you produce something, people need to buy that thing. But you are going to have customers and suppliers. They have to also uh, be employing people who also fund the economy they buy, retail goods, they buy white goods, they buy food, they buy transportation, and all those particular things. So the one thing that you want to always make sure is happening for businesses to be happy or to look at your environment as a good environment in which you can actually invest is policy certainty. In other words, I want to go into Zim, I want to go into Kenya, I want to go into Egypt. The first question that I want to find out is, what's the policy environment in that particular country? And is it certain, right? And I need to also understand whether there is governance quality. In other words, what happens when I have a dispute? What happens when I have a query with the Department of Trade, Industry and Competition and I need some licensing issue to be resolved? Do I have people of competence? Do I have people who've got speed, flexibility, who are adaptable, who understand what customer service is all about because I am their customer? Or do I have people who think that they are doing me a favor and they will do things at their own time? That's governance quality. You also want to go into an environment where is political stability and capacity, that the politics of that particular country uh, are working. Whether it's loud, loud as South Africa, whether it's noisy as South Africa, but there has to be an element of stability because I can't put money in the ground and then tomorrow I find that I've actually lost it because of all the instability, the rioting and all those particular things. So these are basic things and you also want to make sure that the stable macroeconomic uh, stability because inflation must be something that's controlled. I can't put $500 million into a country and then tomorrow when I'm trying to get the money out, it's now $300 million because your exchange rate has actually crashed and there is no value that I can create notwithstanding the fact that my business has actually been profitable. So in the end, businesses want to see, uh, business people want to see that there is an environment in which I can actually invest. There is labor flexibility and labor productivity. There is certainty around how that relationship is working with the politics uh, as well. There are competencies in the system 
there are skills in the system. There is a market more than anything else because sometimes we emphasize too much the issue of a foreign market. Most people who want to invest in South Africa, they also want to find out whether South Africa itself has got people who are employed, rising incomes, can they buy the product and the service but, that I'm actually but, but, introducing but, but, uh, into the country. I, 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 hear, I, I hear and appreciate the blueprint that you're articulating, but um, I, I, I can't, you know, uh, and I, my, my, my view and, and the view that I've, of people that I've spoken to is that there, there is this propensity to romanticize the role of business. Um, and, and I want to go back to the issue that, um, you know, um, Herman raised about ethical um, leadership, which cuts across, by the way, not only in, in, in public sector, but also in government. I mean, also in, in private mm-hmm. sector, because we, we cannot have a gross inequality in terms of salaries, for an example. Um, we still have a huge disparities of pay, you know, uh, in, in this country, black, white, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. Where Where is ethics and ethical conduct on the side of business? Because that on its own also creates the inequalities that we're talking about today. Can, can I get a sense from you, Herman? I think uh, Alan, uh, sorry, uh, Nimrod, Alan has actually captured uh, uh, what needs to really happen if you obviously really need your country to uh, to really succeed. Because no businessman in the world, actually, Alan, not you're not the only one. I'm I'm, I'm one of <laughs> one of the millions. Uh, that um, I think I, I remember for many years, um, um, you know, when 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 I was in business, uh, and I would really get uh, someone coming to look for funding to start this business. And um, I can tell you, when it uh, when we start the business, the guy tells me he wants to start business because he wants to uh, um, uh, to employ people to create employment in the country. I can tell you, I will ensure that uh, we close that meeting as soon as possible because this guy's coming to waste my time. Because uh, no businessman goes into business to employ people. You, you go into business because you want to make money. That is, that is how you, uh, business people operate all over the world. You look at all successful companies, countries in the world. So it is the role of government to create that conducive environment to ensure that all the issues that Alan has, has raised, that they are, they are there, that you, you, you have certainty in terms of policy, you have the rule of law. I think the rule of law is really, very crucial. Uh, uh, Nimrod, you cannot really talk about uh, the, uh, the, the consequences uh, for the private sector uh, when you don't have the rule of law. So in the case of uh, if anyone creates a, um, a commits a crime, uh, like what happened with uh, um, this guy in Cape Town, as soon as uh, obviously the guy uh, uh, violate our laws, let us make sure that there are consequences. But then, if they are in in partnership in cohesion uh, with um, with the political leadership, that's where the problem uh, arises, and eventually the system collapses. So I think it is very important for us as South Africans to really understand why people invest in their own country, why international people, international community or investment community will come and invest in South Africa. It's because of the conditions. If you look at South Africa the last uh, ten years or so. 
uh, international investments have been drying up, and they're drying up uh, literally on a daily basis. I mean, the, the events of the last two weeks, unfortunately, have created even a bigger crisis for us because no businessman uh, based in Tokyo today or Sydney or New York is going to think about coming into South Africa because they look at us as a disaster. That's why they are already anticipating South Africa to really be a, a failed state. Now it's up to us as South Africans to make sure that we have the political leadership that has got this fundamental understanding that you need a conducive uh, investment climate for the business community to come and invest in your country. But at the end of the day, if they get involved in, in criminal activity, there are consequences Today, South Africa, I've said this many times, I remember on the 22nd of uh, October uh, 2019, um, I went to Parliament uh, to present um, uh, the dysfunctional state of uh, home affairs. And I had a slide that I can have demonstrated to South Africa of uh, South Africa today being the World Cup of crime. If uh, the international uh, international crime syndicates have identified South Africa to really be the, the great playing ground for them, that's where you're not going to really get serious investors coming to invest in your country. When you I, are no is, I, I, I get that point, very useful point, but I don't think, Herman, uh, uh, as well as Ellen, I don't think you responded to my question particularly around what what has been the role of business in, in, in trying or in promoting equitable society. Let's look for an example, um, the, the, the employment equity report, uh, whether there's been any uh, consequences. Uh, I mean, you talk about consequences. What has been the consequences um, of those companies which have, which have failed and continue to fail um, applying the rule of law? And what does that say in terms of the investor confidence? What does it say about the 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 the, the, the inequalities that exist in the country? You look at the uh, the competition commission. These are uh, are salient points which demonstrate the extent to which, in my view, business has not has not been forthcoming, irrespective of the level ground or irrespective of the policy environment which has been orchestrated by this government. So so I just want to a perspective on, on, on these uh, uh, critical <clears throat> instruments which were meant well, to level the playing ground of which when you look at the reports, uh, the reports are quite dismal. Well, uh, you know, Nimrod, uh, I was having a similar discussion with uh, one of the ministers the other day and they were, they were talking about uh, it's all left to government, government is doing everything, and business is not doing anything. So I asked the minister, the honorable minister, what do you mean by that? And the minister was saying that, you know, business is standing there away and government is spending its resources. Then I asked the minister, okay, where do you think the government gets the resources that the government is spending? Because there's only three lines of income in the revenue account of the government. It's personal income tax generated by business. It's corporate income tax generated by business. It's indirect taxes, whether it's VAT, customs duties, et cetera, et cetera. All of that is actually generated by business. So even when you are government, you borrow. You borrow that money from wherever you are borrowing it. But fundamentally, the money that is going to service the capital and the interest on that particular loan can only happen because business has generated it by way of its own business activity in generating a profit. 
Okay, so that's the first part. The second issue relating to policy, crime, etc. That's the responsibility of government. Business cannot, on its own, decide to do law and order. What the government should be able to do is to hold business, any other business person, accountable for any violation of the law. Whether it's a Companies Act, you know, there are many, many, many uh, uh, articles or sections of the Companies Act that say the government should act in a particular way, should a particular business person do this or that other thing wrong. The law must actually work. If you're a director of a company and you operate in a way that is delinquent, the section 16161 of the Companies Act, that must hold you accountable and many many, many other acts of the, of the Companies Act that say you cannot act, act recklessly, you cannot all do those particular things. Now, I'm not arguing in any way that business isn't playing or ought not to be playing any other meaningful role. It should. But already business is paying very huge taxes in South Africa. South Africa's tax, corporate tax rate is one of the highest. I mean, 28%, some other reports. That's a very, very high number. I know the world has met recently to say all over the world, you know, taxes must come down, not come down. They must at least have a minimum tax rate of something like 15%. But I can go to Singapore, the tax is 20%. I can go to Taiwan, it's 20%. Uh, many parts of Dubai, uh, uh, UAE, sorry, except whether in oil and gas and banking, uh, the tax is actually a free tax rate. So there is a lot that is happening, but we should not confuse the roads where we now want business to be engaged in issues that are social instead of making them focus on innovation, on industrialization, on investing, on building capital formation, so that those things can create continuously higher incomes for people to drive the economy so that they can empower their lives. The issue of hunger and poverty isn't caused by business. It is caused by a lack of government planning and government failure. It is government that is responsible for making sure that you can actually address those issues. But for government to be able to do those things, government needs revenues. For government to make revenues, you need to allow the business people the space and the opportunity to make money. And that is not what is happening now because we're mismanaging the economy royally from that particular point. Then we turn around and say, yeah, but business is not doing enough. But they are doing enough. 28% tax rate. You still have to pay tax on dividends. You still have to do your CSII. Now, I'm not saying that from a leadership point of view in terms of other areas. Business should not. And we do. We sit at Nedlec. We fight more than anyone else in that particular chamber to ensure that the government has got the right policies and we pay our part as well. Who is putting money behind the Solidarity Fund? Who is doing a lot of the initiatives around this era of COVID. It has actually been business. So in the final analysis, I think that we should, in fact, encourage business to focus on what it does best, making money, generating wealth, so that the fiscals can, can get more revenue. If we start imposing a whole range of other uh, requirements on business, then you're going to get people who are very much distracted, and they start to do run, run all over the place instead of focusing. If Herman was employing a CEO in one of his investments, and he hears the CEO is now in so way to be the cleaning streets there, he's going to fire him. Because he says, Wait, listen, dude, I gave you money, I need a return on investment of 30%, and you're busy running around cleaning streets. I, I, I don't care when you do that during your off days. But right now, I need you to run that business so that I can pay my taxes. So we need to be fair as well in that particular context. Thank you. Thank you very much for that insight, Melon. Um, By the way, I mean, I, I did not entirely disagree with you. I just wanted a clarity for, I mean, I mean, the kind of conversation we have had with a lot of people um, have said we, we are not balanced in our in our rebuke. We are not balanced in, in our assessment of uh, government, labor, as well as business, insofar as making a difference on, on how best to 
uh, redefine the country's trajectory towards more equality. But 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 that's that's my view. Um, you know, let me just bring him in here, uh, based of, as a follow up on what um, uh, Ellen has said. Um, are you content that business um, is doing its utmost best and there's nothing else business uh, ought to be doing or, or business ought to be doing differently, you know, to try and mitigate the, the risk that are inherent? We all know that the the, the Arab Spring, you know, epidemic is it's here or the, the, the kind of riots and, and you know, uh, chaos that we've seen are as a result of inequalities. So obviously it's in the best interest of business, that's my view, in the best interest of government, in the best interest of everybody else. Um, given the current environment as it were, what, it, what else business ought to be doing differently to try and come, you know, to try and address inequalities um, that we're seeing from the wage point of view, from, from the redress and, and all those kind of um, critical issues that, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, people are complaining about from time to time. I think, uh, Nimrod, uh, that will be one of the biggest mistakes we can make as society to think that uh, uh, we're going to expect the government to run uh, politics. Uh, there's why, why do we have uh, members of parliament? Why do we have uh, cabinet and all these uh, politicians who are earning actually today in South Africa? They earn much more than uh, than, than uh, the, some senior executives in, 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 uh, in the private sector. In fact, um, uh, the, the, the one article uh, I read uh, quite uh, recent uh, was uh, one uh, agency from Germany that uh, came into South Africa to assist us um, uh, uh, to, uh, to really drive um, the uh, artisan training uh, environment. And uh, the German uh, sector uh, government requested South Africa to really get a CEO for this particular NGO. South African government presented someone with a salary almost double the size, uh, size of what uh, a German person in the same position actually plays. So when you, you have such a, 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 a situation in a country, you are really looking for trouble. That's why you need a government that is actually committed to public service. When you go into politics, Go into politics with a full understanding that politics is not a place where you make money. Politics is it's a, it's a calling. It's something that you do because you want to help society. When you want to make money, like here in South Africa, we're a capitalist society. You want to make money in South Africa, we have no problem whatsoever for you to make billions. Because if you make billions, you're going to be paying taxes on those billions. And you won't really be making those billions without, obviously, the employment of, of the people. That's what the role of government should really be, to create that enabling environment, allow your people to really make the money. But... It's driven by your policies, including the type of education that you are going to really provide. But if you expect uh, the private sector to, play, uh, sector to play that role, I'm afraid we're going to be fooling ourselves. Because right now, Nimrod, I can tell you, a um, lot of businesses uh, that are now uh, that have been destroyed uh, recently, even after getting their um, insurance uh, payouts. So those who are fortunate enough to have the insurance, I can tell you they're going to think twice before reinvesting in this country, more especially if uh, the perpetrators of this violence are not uh, arrested and, and prosecuted uh, to really face the might of the law. So you're not going to invest in, in, in that kind of environment. 
If I look at business in this country, I've been around uh, for a long time in, in, in business uh, uh, to have a, a better understanding, obviously not the best, but uh, I think some insights as to when and how you really invest in this country. I think if I look at uh, business uh, men and women in this country for the last uh, 10 odd years or so, to a large extent, we focus on long term. You do, you invest, you invest uh, what you have to really do. But people have really been really very scared for long term investments because of uh, policy uncertainty, the breakdown of the rule of law, our own personal safety. Because I mean, how do you expect uh, to 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 um, to really come and uh, uh, visit South Africa on on vacation when you know this is a mega capital of the world, when you know that uh, this is a rape capital of the world. It's, it's known all over the world. So I think um, if you look at uh, tourism, play such a key role. South Africa was in such an ideal position. We are the best placed um, country in the world in terms of uh, um, uh, mm tourism attraction because our uh, uh, our weather condition and climatic conditions are the best in the world throughout uh, the but we are losing opportunities because we don't have conducive environment uh, that um, uh, people can be invited to come and invest absolutely. in absolutely absolutely unfortunately we're going to have to wrap up i just want to give alan a party short um as as we gravitate towards the end um if um leadership is listening to uh, the show tonight, of which I know some of them are listening to the show. What advice would you give them in trying to mitigate the inherent risk that we're currently facing uh, and as they manifest in inequalities that we're seeing today? What your advice would be, um, Ellen? A very quick one. You know, uh, first point, you have to change the culture of how you select, uh, recruit and retain high-quality people. It has to be a merit-based system which is not necessarily based on whether you're in politics or not in politics. Get the best people for the right job in terms of their qualifications, experience, you know, performance track record. Number two, Hammond made an ex- extremely important point, even though he made it for a different angle. But the most important point, remember with foreign investors, when you deploy capital abroad, the type of individual that must go and look after your capital is not necessarily in that country. You not generally have these people called expatriates. These are people who are generally in their 30s and 40s. They happen to be just starting their families. If they are going to take, uh, uproot their families wherever they are to go into your country, they need to make sure that the issues of personal safety are uppermost. You know, there's no wife who wants to go and uh, accompany the husband to some godforsaken place in Africa where someone can actually be raped at any time at night. So that's a very, very critical environment in terms of law and order and getting rid of the criminality, especially violent crimes, that happen. So those two things, I would say, are the most critical in, this, in that particular regard. Thank you very much for that insight, Helen. Um, as always, you don't you don't disappoint. Um, Helen, your pass, uh, your parting shot in in forty seconds, if you may. Well, I think uh, quickly, Nemrod, uh, if South Africans uh, wants to see a prosperous South Africa, they need to really change their government because this government has failed them. They have proven beyond any reasonable doubt that uh, uh, the prosperous South Africa in ANC cannot